our exits. We've done some debt, some some notes that are collateralized that are as short as a uh, seven months to a year, or a couple of years to as long as uh, you know a ten year, ten year sort of thing. This vineyard we recently did was roughly a ten year timeline with the payback in eight years, and that's all based on you know the the biology of, of growing grapes and producing grapes and that sort of thing. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in today. Our guest is Chris Raleigh from Harvest Returns. And today we're learning about agricultural investing and the strategy that they use in his business to invest in a variety of different agricultural type investments, whether it's greenhouses and indoor growing and indoor vertical farms and really interesting stuff. He's going to tell you all about it today. Really fascinating. I think this is like the next wave of where agricultural you know, products are going to be coming from and and how things are going to happen down the road. So really interesting. And Chris is going to tell you all about it. If you're an Apple podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment, leave us a rating and review on Apple podcast five stars. If you don't mind, I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. No matter what podcast app you use, don't forget to look us up and hit subscribe. And that way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I'm your host, Taylor Lotes. I'm a real estate investor. I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. As we record this, we just recently uh, sold a property in Texas. Really excited about that, exiting that after owning it for a couple of years and moving on to the next one. I'm always excited to learn about a different type of real estate investing. And today you're going to learn about agricultural real estate investing with, you know, the the strategy, potentially the strategy of the future and where our food will be coming from and where it already already is coming from. He gives us a few examples of farms that they've invested in that make products that are out there on the shelves right now that you can get depending on where you live. Really interesting stuff. You're going to learn so much without any further ado. Here we go with Chris Raleigh from Harvest Returns. Chris, thank you for joining us today. It's great to be here, Taylor. Thank you for having me. It's great talking with you. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and Harvest Returns and what you do, can you tell us a bit about your background and what you invest in? Sure. So I've got kind of a roundabout background to get to where I am with this company. After college, went into the Navy, did that for a while. Ended up coming back to Texas and working in commercial real estate as a property manager. So that's kind of how I got the real estate bug. Although I, I will say, uh, I probably actually got it from my father and grandfather. My father was involved in the self-service storage business, one of the very first developers of those uh, facilities in Texas. So as a little kid, I spent a lot of time sweeping out empty units and weed eating and things like that and uh, learned that part of real estate. But then um, started investing in real estate, you know, uh, similar path to a lot of people, single family homes, eventually got into some multifamily commercial, started working on passive syndications, did a little bit of land development. And along the way there, I decided that uh, there was an asset class that I really wanted to get invested in, but I had no idea how to do it. And that was farming. Um, There's a lot of reasons for that. I traveled around the world quite a bit um, in my Navy career and saw a lot of places where people don't have access to 24-7 supermarkets and uh, DoorDash and uh, on-call food delivery and things like that, where they were completely reliant on um, what they grew themselves or what they grew locally. So 
wanted to invest in a farm. And it turns out at the time, this was back in 2015, 14, that that's pretty hard to do. There were very few opportunities to directly invest in a farm unless you really knew what you were doing, had a lot of capital. So same time, there was some uh, platforms out there that were syndicating real estate. And I decided to build one to essentially allow people to come in passively invest in farms. So my partner, Austin Manis, and I um, founded the company Harvest Returns back in 2016. Since then, um, we've matched our pool of investors with more than 30 different farms and ranches and agribusinesses of all different flavors of all different geographies and uh, keep growing and keep keep uh, helping farmers. That's fantastic. That's a fantastic uh, growth story as well. You've done quite a bit in those uh, those years since you've been you know, in this business. So I guess let's kick it off. And like, where do you even start to find an agricultural investment? Because you you know find a farm to invest in. You're not going to find that, I would assume, on like LoopNet or Crexy. Or if you do, how do you even get started? You know, evaluating that. So break into it. No. So there are, you know, I, I suppose uh, there's a lot of land brokers. Um, if you're just investing in, in, in an entire farm, you want to go out personally and buy a farm and run it or pay somebody to run it. You can certainly do that. There's land brokers out there and there's a few websites and things like that. And and that's one way to do it. But that, that's something I don't recommend you doing unless you've got the experience and and the knowledge and a lot of capital thrown around, like you know Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, who are just buying up all the farmland all <laughs> over the country. Uh, so that's one of the reasons we started this company. The way we find our deals is the farmers come to us. Um, farmers come to us when they're either starting or expanding their business, when they've got a new idea to you know develop a, a say an indoor farm or an urban farm or uh, more of the large scale greenhouse projects. And I'll get more into that maybe later in the in the show, but. Farmers are dissatisfied with the ag financing system. And just like a, a real estate investor, if you want to grow to a scale, you're going to, you might need to bring in outside investors. And that's what a lot of the uh, farmers and, and agribusiness entrepreneurs who come to us are doing. Um, they're looking for outside investors to help them expand their own money and, and be able to buy something where they can get some economies of scales, just like you know an individual investor might uh, get together or become part of a pool and invest in a multifamily or that sort of thing. Interesting. So what is the problem or what are the problems with the agricultural financing systems? So the the vast majority of farming in the US, you know, when people kind of think about farming, you think about driving through the Midwest and seeing acres and acres of corn or wheat, you know, it's row crops. That's that's essentially that's where most of the money is. It's a commodity crop. It's where most of the ag production is and money in the US is. And the ag financing system pretty much grew up around that. It's very localized. There's an ag credit system. It's great if that's what you're doing. But if you're trying to do something different, like an indoor farm, urban farm, a vineyard, any kinds of specialty things, specialty agriculture, expanding your livestock herd. These are all types of businesses that we've heard from farmers that just are not being well served by the existing ag finance system. So yeah, we originally started out with the intent to become an, an investment platform, um, but now it turns out we're probably, you know, we are helping a lot of investors, but we're also um, definitely helping farmers out there, farmers and ranchers. And that was the whole surprising side of the business. We've learned so much about agriculture and farming. And although I've got people on my team that come from an ag background, I, I personally don't. Um, so we've all been, we've been learning and uh, growing and, and, you know, we've 
to date. I think we've we've raised over seventeen million dollars uh, for farms, over thirty different farms, ranches, or or you know ag related businesses, and you know in the process produce a lot of good food and uh, and jobs and all the good things that, that investment goes with. Cool. So. Tell us about some of those businesses that you've, you know, invested in. You've helped farmers. Starting, you mentioned a few in terms of, you know, greenhouses and maybe wineries, things like that. What can uh, what can folks invest in? What's out there to be, you know, supported? Yeah. So you you name it. We we've kind of seen it. We we've just we get a couple of deals across our desk every single day. They just come to us because they know we're out here, and, and it's everything from yeah. We just did a vineyard in Texas. One of the things with. Um, Texas, there's a very strong wine culture, growing wine culture in Texas, probably second only to California. Um, the problem is we don't have enough grapes here. So a lot of the made in Texas wines are actually with California grapes. So we just helped a, a company raise some uh, some capital to expand their vineyards in, in West Texas and produce more grapes to support Texas uh, wineries, which which is awesome. We, we've done, we like doing Texas deals. We've done, recently did an elderberry farm. So elderberry is an interesting sort of um, product that it's it's a superfood has a lot of uh, nutritional value there's a lot of elderberry products if you get out there uh, um, drinks and nutritional supplements and things like that but they're all made from or the vast majority are made from imported elderberries from europe that are dried and they kind of lose all their potency so we, we've got fresh elderberries in texas those happen to be two texas deals but we've done cattle ranches grass-fed cattle primaries are specialty in georgia southern california Colorado. Um, we like grass-fed cattle because it's kind of a premium product. It's not necessarily the commodity product that most cattle is. So it's like a lot of premium products, you know, think of a, think of a class A real estate. It's, it's more expensive, but it's, it's, uh, holds its value does well in, in lower economic times than, uh, the commodity product. So what does the typical say return to the investor kind of look like, you know, I, our background, we, buy multifamily, fix it up, do a value add deal. And then there's some cash flow along the way, but the big paycheck comes on the back end once we, you know, sell it for more money. Where in this case with the agriculture, is it you know purely cash flow or how are you exiting the deal? What does the cash flow all look like? You know, tell us about all that. Yeah. So there are some other ways. There are some other platforms out there that do agriculture now. We were one of the first. What probably differentiates us is is the way I we put the deals together and it's very similar to commercial real estate because that's what I knew. Uh, so that's how the way we started. So, so everything you just said, you know, the payoff comes at the end. There are, there are cash flows um, sometimes as, as frequently as quarterly, sometimes annually, sometimes you don't see them for several years. So that they're interesting in real estate and you know, there's a lot of similarities between real estate and, and farm investment or ag investing. But, but one of the differences is we're, you know, you develop a building and you move in tenants and you start making cash flow. It it can take years to develop a farm. Um, you know, you start out with raw land and let's just say you've got a greenhouse. It might take a couple of years to construct it and then you start growing and, and producing the cash flow. Or if it's something like tree crops, like we've done hazelnuts. Well, you you plant the you take the land, you improve it, you put irrigation, you plant the trees, and they take a few years before they start pushing out cash flow. So we that said, you know, there are Different different types of investment risk profiles, um, just like you'd be investing in single family or multifamily or commercial office building or storage facilities or whatever industrial. Same thing with ag. Lots of different flavors of it. It's not just all row crops, and that's one of the things that differentiates us from our platform is that we're doing those kind of niche investment opportunities. Our exits, 
we've done some debt, some some notes that are collateralized that are as short as a uh, seven months to a year, or a couple of years to as long as uh, you know a ten year. 10-year sort of thing. This vineyard we recently did was roughly a 10-year timeline with a payback in eight years. And that's all based on you know the, the biology of, of growing grapes and producing grapes and that sort of thing. So exits, you know, it could be a cash out refinance, just like you built you develop a building and starts to stabilize cash flow and you, you cash them out. So that's one way. Cash out via uh, targeted, you know, your your cash flows grow, you develop a project. The cash flows start pushing out cash and you're able to exit a targeted IRR. And then the third, especially on some of our more you know developmental deals or speculative deals, you're going to see a higher IRR. Of course, there's higher development risk, but you're going to see you know potentially a, a merger or acquisition or even an IPO in some of the companies with, that we've invested in. And we also do ag tech. It's not necessarily real estate, but it's it's something it's you know the the brick and a mortar of of supporting agriculture. Um, so we've done several of those deals lately too. And those are your more of your sort of angel investing um, with the potential for a high payoff. Cool. So you mentioned a few things about, you know, you're either come in as a, a debt partner with a, a collateralized note or you're investing equity, things like that. Um, if you are making an equity investment, are you able to say, get a loan? Like if we're buying a multifamily property, we're going to go you know, get a mortgage. It's going to be pretty you know, relatively low interest rate. Whereas in this case, are you able to leverage? Is that smart? Can you tell us about, especially the uses of supplemental, you know, debt things like that? Yeah, I mean, we case. come in deals where the entire deal is equity, and in our investors are a big part of it. Maybe the founder has some, you know, the the principal has some uh, equity involved, some skin in the game. To we are a small part of the capital stack, stack of a large project where we might be the last money. So these a lot of these these large scale greenhouse deals, and when I say greenhouse, it's, it's People need to envision, you know, it's not just like a little, you know, small thing in the backyard. These are literally acres and acres of buildings that are that are large multi-year construction projects, irrigated hydroponics. They're they're springing up all over the country. They started in Europe, but now we, we're in one in in uh, Kentucky that's been fully developed and is spitting out cash. And we're going to have an exit here pretty soon to uh, one that's being developed in New Hampshire to some others that we're looking at. Um, and those have those are you know fifty million dollar projects, just like building a multifamily might be. And so we might only have a million of it in equity. Um, and then there's a, other investors that are coming in, and then there's a debt component, as you you could imagine. So it's very similar to structuring any kind of large scale construction project. And, you know, our projects run the gamut from that's kind of on the higher end down to smaller, a vertical farm. So a building in an urban area, it's just a shell that might have been sitting vacant for years. It gets redeveloped into something um, like we, we've got one in Birmingham, Alabama, Yellowhammer Farms. Started out as a shell building, vacant, and now it's a an urban vertical farm that's selling produce locally, direct to retailer or direct to consumers, to restaurants and to to local groceries. And so the local movement is a big deal. Most people don't realize that most. So you know, like like real estate, agriculture is local. Um, the returns can be local, but the difference is the products can be shipped all over the country. Uh, however, more and more, especially with recent supply chain shocks, uh, more and more people want to grow their food locally and consume their food locally. It takes a lot less uh, gas to move lettuce across Birmingham, Alabama, than it does to move it from Salinas Valley, California to Birmingham, Alabama, which is where um, actually most of the lettuce and leafy greens are produced is in Salinas Valley. But that's 
we're, we're seeing that ratio sort of begin to change as more produce is produced outside of California. I mean, California's awesome because it's got amazing weather, although now they're having a lot of water problems there. And so people are looking for alternatives. And one of the ways to do that is to build these vertical urban farms. Interesting. So when you mentioned the the one in Kentucky in particular, just kind of pick on that. As I think about it, I mean, really from the outside, right? What I picture is a more premium product that, you know, the elderberry kind of sounds like something where it's probably fairly expensive. You're competing with, you know, uh, an imported product and you're probably able to you know, get a lot of money out of it. Whereas if you were building a big, you know, indoor greenhouse to grow red, delicious apples, I, I love apples. I hate red, delicious apples. So it, that probably doesn't make as much sense. You have to grow the trees and then they're a fairly cheap type of product. Is that right? Are these all premium products? I mean, you mentioned lettuce there, which I wouldn't really consider a premium product. No, it's not necessarily premium. Although when you see the kind of lettuce that comes out of the these greenhouses, it, it is pretty amazing. Uh, it's very nutritious and you actually lose nutrition the longer the lettuce may look perfectly fresh, but by the time it gets to you in you know flyover country from California or to the East Coast, it's been sitting there for like a week refrigerated. Whereas you can go and basically buy lettuce that's been picked that day or the next or the next day. So it is more nutritious. It, it does taste. It's more flavorful. I was up at our. We have an urban farm slash restaurant in Omaha. I was up there a couple of weeks ago, and it, the I'm not a salad guy, but I absolutely love the uh, salads that came out of this place. Uh, it's called Gather in Omaha. Anybody happens to be in Omaha, so it is that in the case of the Kentucky greenhouse, uh, Kentucky Fresh Harvest, they grow tomatoes. So they grow just the little packs of cherry tomatoes, like you might see, but they have several varieties, and they distribute them, you know, regionally there. So they're still local-ish. Uh, that's more regional distribution. Not necessarily a premium product. It's a great product, high quality product, but uh, it's not you know a high-end product. It's the fact that they're able to grow and, and produce those sort of economies of scale and grow more regionally than having to ship that food across the country. And probably all year type of growth cycle. That's a that's the uh, the other key to indoor ag. I mean, there's a lot of you know benefits. It's it's lower water, pesticide waste, no runoff, those sorts of you know environmental benefits. Um, but but yeah, it's it's uh, you can grow year round. The other the other thing from a market perspective is if you're growing in a vertical farm. And, you know, your, your chef comes up with a new and you're selling to local restaurants and he says, oh, I got this new recipe and I need a certain flavor of basil that's, you know, and there's a lot of flavors of basil. Apparently, I didn't know that but there's a <laughs> lot. Then you can start within, say, six weeks, you can have those the new production going. Whereas if he wanted to find that basil, he'd have to go to wherever it's grown, you know, might might be outside the U.S. and import it. And you know, the quality is just not going to be good. And it's probably going to be higher priced, too, with all those transportation costs. Interesting. So I suppose uh, something I would be curious about here is, especially a few years ago, when I think it was the farm bill, I forget exactly what bill, but you know, CBD hemp was legalized in the United States. And I feel like we saw a huge groundswell of folks at least selling CBD type of products. Yeah. Do you, you know, do you target that? Do you think that was like overblown? What are your thoughts about all that? So, so we are invested in a couple of hemp CBD mm -hmm. companies, not, not cannabis. We haven't done cannabis and we may never do cannabis just because of the regulatory issues behind yeah. it. But yeah, the market had a big dive at the end of uh, 2019, early 2020, because everybody was getting into it, which is ironically the same thing happens when they legalize cannabis in a state. Everybody thinks they're making a lot of money, but the only people that really keep making money are the people that keep growing it illegally. Um, so <laughs> it that's grows like you know, a weed. I, 
Yeah, I, it, exactly. Uh, a lot of people made a lot of money with cannabis. Uh, I'm not one of them, but but uh, there are people out there. Interesting. So it's, I, I would hate to use, it's not boring, but you don't want to go for like the, I don't know, that's like a, a, a hot topic, right? Whereas you want to go for the more, I guess, quote unquote, I hate to use the word boring, but the you know, tomatoes might not get be quite as you know exciting or right. sexy or on the news, but it's profitable. No, it, yeah, you know, the, the end product, uh, it's high quality. The way it's grown, I think is a little bit sexier than growing it in a field. And it's certainly, um, you know, more sustainable. And these companies are fairly new, but there's been, you know, there's some very large scale investments that have gone into some of these indoor ag companies, you know, to the tune of there's some, some unicorns out there, billion dollar valuation companies like, you know, Aero Farms, Bright Farms. I might, you know, those are some of the major players. We're actually working with some of the smaller players and helping them get bigger and then compete in their own little niches. So a big question, you know, a lot of our listeners out there are passive investors. Big question comes down to evaluating these types of investments and, you know, whether it's a reasonable business plan or it's a right fit for, you know, the individual that's considering investing in it. What are your thoughts about that? Evaluating these investments from the outside, from a passive investor standpoint. So, so, you know, we do, we, a deal comes to us, a farmer comes to us and says, Hey, I've got this plan. Here's my business plan. This is my idea. This is my background. We're going to do the due diligence on it, just like if a developer came to a group of real estate investors and said, "Hey, I'm going to build this great new apartment building in wherever. You guys are going to support me?" And, you know, we're going to ask the same question. Well, have you done this before? What's your background? What's your team? Who, who's on your team? Do you have? You know, we look for a team that has a farming aspect and a business aspect because there's a lot of great farmers that can grow things, but they suck at business. And there's a lot of great business people that have never grown anything. And they think they, they think it's easy and it's not. Um, so we look at a team, even if it was a husband wife team or, you know, an individual that, that has the, the background. So first of all, we evaluate the sponsor then we evaluate the market for what they're doing and how they're doing it. And, and we, obviously we learn as these markets evolve, especially on the indoor side, a lot of people are learning, you know, what works and what doesn't work. And then we look at the numbers, of course. And so is it going to cash flow? And is that is that team going to be able to execute the pro forma financial projections that they say they are? So it's very, very similar to doing a due diligence on any kind of real estate deal um, where you're going to purchase something value add or start from scratch. Hmm, okay. How about, um, what are your thoughts about, say, variability of, say, commodity prices down the road and projecting, you know, just to hit on the tomato, the, the cost of cherry tom- tomatoes next year or three years from now or whenever the, the project you know happens to be spun up when you're evaluating it. Do you see a lot of variability in those commodity prices? And what are your thoughts about looking into the future and saying, I think this is a viable investment because you know the cost of a tomato is not going to go to a third of what it is? Yeah, I that that is a great question. And, and for the most part, the deals we do, they are you know, focused on these these niche products that are not necessarily commodity price driven. They're local. The prices are locally driven. And the other beautiful thing we love about indoor agriculture is if all of a sudden the price of something you're growing falls a lot, you can, it's pretty easy to reconfigure and start <laughs> growing again. And the growing cycles are short, you know, as short as four to six weeks in some cases. So, you know, if it's, whereas you're growing wheat, you do one crop a year, sometimes two. And if you lose one of those crops, so it's a, a big piece of this is risk management, right? If you lose a crop, uh, a basil crop, well, you start over and in six weeks, you got more basil, maybe less than, uh, you lose your annual wheat crop, you're kind of hosed. And that's where, that's why there's all that insurance and government backstops 
for those sorts of commodities because it is, you know, there, some of those are some of those I completely disagree with um, as a capitalist, and some of them are probably necessary to keep keep certain farmers farming. But it also distorts the market as well because you have people growing things they really shouldn't be growing because the price the prices in the market don't sub- support it. Mm-hmm. We do. Whereas the, our 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 market our farmers are very much free market guys because they have to be. I mean, one you're going to hear about a lot, I feel like, in this space when you're talking about subsidies is corn. We have a lot of corn growth in the United States compared to the amount that we actually eat as corn. We get high fructose corn syrup and ethanol and all these other things that it's turned into. And a lot of that comes down to the way the the subsidies are are made and all the government insurance and all of that. It's not necessarily sure. free market forces. Right. Exactly. And we don't do corn. All right, great. Well, right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called GroundFloor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash GroundFloor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor, or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Chris, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show, are you ready? You were muted there for a second. All right, we're, we're back now. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? So I've made a lot of investments in a lot of different things, real estate included in stocks and bonds. I'm going to say, uh, and this is maybe premature, is my my own company. And not only did I put a lot of uh, our own capital into harvest returns, but uh, we put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in the team. And um, you know, not just from a hopefully uh, economic standpoint at some point, but the the impact we're making uh, all across the country and and uh, producing food, making better food and making jobs and helping farmers and, and ag entrepreneurs. So I'll save my company. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Yeah, I've had a few of those because that's how you learn. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say, you know, I've, I've never really been burned on a real estate side, so I don't have any real, real horror stories there. But uh, a long time ago during the dot-com bubble, I invested in Enron. Oh boy. And lost, you know, 99% of my principal literally overnight was crazy. And a lot of lessons from that. Mm, Ouch. Well, real estate is a way to go anyway. Escaping the Wall Street casino. That's what we're all about on this show. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? So 
People underestimate the importance of risk management in any investment, whether you're investing passively or you're putting together a project and doing it yourself or with a group of other people. You've got to you've got to really have a handle on your risk, and you know we see this with COVID. People are like, oh, that that'll never happen. We'll never all get my restaurant shut down, or my you know my the tenants will will not have to pay rent to me. You know they'll be <laughs> you know for all, over a year. You know there's always those black swan events. So so you have to be able to anticipate, and you have to have multiple ways to mitigate the risk, whether it's exit options or contingency plans or whatever. So risk management is is getting a handle on your risk, understanding your risk, identifying it, and then kind of thinking about how you're going to mitigate them, whether it's insurance of various flavors or, you know, operationally. Nice. Well, Chris, thank you for joining us today. Really cool stuff you're doing. And I appreciate that you're making these types of investments available for the passive investors out there. If folks want to reach out, if they want to learn more about your business or what you do, or ask some questions about agricultural investing, where can they track you down? Yeah. So we're, of course, we're on the internet, harvestreturns.com. We're also on social media. We like, yeah, since this is a new asset class for a lot of investors, there's a lot of educational material on our website and love doing podcasts like yours because we um, reach people and help kind of educate them. Nice. Well, it's awesome stuff. I'm glad you're out there doing it. It sounds very innovative as well when uh, when applied correctly. Really interesting. And I'm glad you're you're out there doing it. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much because that helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll catch you here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, helping you escape the Wall Street Casino. That's what we're all about here. Appreciate you tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.